because I mentioned it on a previous episode, Monster in Law. Oh God. Okay. <laughs> Your reaction was priceless. <laughs> that probably would have been good for the podcast, but whatever. Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> you should like timestamp that and mark it as like a sound bite to use when Honest. you get famous. Oh god. Like you it sounded like you threw up in your mouth. Uh, okay, so that one, and then the third one, which was my original idea, Fever Pitch. Oh! oh, oh. Ooh, okay. That's a okay. bad fucking movie. Wow. Alright, so listeners, wait till the end of the podcast to see what's chosen. Well, hello, and welcome to Bromancing the Stone. It's the podcast for myself, Renee Sanchez, and my good buddy, Max Lyon. What up? Watch rom-coms, and then immediately record our thoughts and place them on the interwebs for the tens and tens of listeners listening pleasure. I yes. had to change that up a little bit. <laughs> I got lost. I got lost in the sauce there. You got, you Max, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Uh, <laughs> woke up ready to record today after treating myself to a wonderful date night to myself. Yeah. Last night, where I watched watched our our lovely movie and yeah. made dinner for myself and cooked up my famous pesto and uh, nice. made some. Got some sourdough baguette and olive oil and a salad and put on the movie and oh yeah, it was I was and thoroughly romantic. We'll say it again at the end of the podcast, but your Instagram <laughs> it's the lionhearted. I forget where the period or underscore is. Uh T H E period L Y O N A G A R T E D. Yeah, so the period lionhearted. Yeah. You put on your story a picture of that pesto with the baguette yeah. and the olive oil yeah. and, the, and the drink, and it looked fucking amazing. I oh was yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Jealous of it. Oh yeah. I had I had wine there. I had the yeah. movie on. Oh, it was it was great. It was solid. It was yeah. great. Friday night date night, man. You yeah. Gotta do it. Treat yourself. <laughs> Treat yourself. <laughs> so yeah, it was good. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing pretty well uh, because the Blackhawks have won their qualifier series and are advancing to the next round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Yeah, yeah, Let's yeah. Go. Blackhawks, baby. Motherfucking hockey. Yes. Uh, having sports back, is especially like sports that are in playoff times has been real nice so having hockey back during august though is so fucking weird it is extremely odd yeah especially playoff hockey like okay wait a minute so it's august and saint patty's day is coming up like (laughs) i mean it's like it's funny because you know they do their shots uh you know the establishing shots of like toronto or edmonton where these bubbles are happening 
and there's just these beautiful pictures of like what like the sun glistening off of oh, the lake yeah, nearby yeah. the arena and everything else and just like that's not how this is supposed to, there's supposed to be snow on the ground i know i know <laughs> i supposed to be, like all this like the establishing shots are usually in like december january february right. when I'm watching a game and it's just fucking cold and it's just like this is so anti you know so different to what i'm you know used to seeing well, and I always associate it with, you know, going to, you know, like sprinting while trying not to slip on the sidewalk to your local bar and huddling up from the snow and the blizzard outside to watch a Blackhawks game. And, you know, you got your 15 layers of coats and clothing on and you got to shed off and then underneath it all, you got your Blackhawks jersey and you hunch over this old dark oak bar and watch the Blackhawks game while it snows outside. I put on the Blackhawks game now and I look outside and I see fucking sailboats out on the lake and my brain just says, nah, no. <laughs> well, you know, speaking of sailing on bodies of water, you know, like say we're the Hamptons neighbor of the Atlantic Ocean, we watched something borrowed this week as week two <laughs> of our shit list. Jesus. Commences. Uh, I, I had a couple options. I went with that. that was, Honestly, I probably should have gone with the first option. The first I feel like option, you could have done better, yeah. The first option was going to go off of what you said, like going to bars and cold weather. I'm like, speaking of going to bars, like Rachel does at the beginning of something borrowed. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that would. Uh, well, I don't you, know. You, went the, you went a little bit more creative route, which I always appreciate. See, See, yeah, that that's and look at where my creativity got me. Explaining, explaining it. Here. It's okay. It's okay. Uh, a for effort. Yes, but uh, yeah, it's shitless month. In case you forgot from last week, uh, we're Max and I are going over the worst rom coms and adding them to our shit list. I Although, I honestly cannot wait to do this with you. Like I cannot <laughs> wait to shit all over these movies. So. This movie, Something Borrowed, is a movie that um, there are two movies in my head when I wanted to do this podcast. Because I had this idea. I mentioned it very early on in the podcast. On the very second episode, when we did one of the movies I had in my head, Love Actually, that I had this idea for the podcast in my head for years. And then I finally got someone to agree to do it with me because I felt like I couldn't just talk alone on this. You make so, it sound like you got me to join a cult. Like, <laughs> I like I just I finally found someone like minded that I could have a conversation with, as opposed to me just talking to the fucking ether and like That's having to, and it. And it would have been an editing nightmare because I would have had to like insert clips and things like that. It would have just been my weird reviews. And things, <laughs> oh like, god, yeah, you would have. It would have been too self reflecting. Yeah, then it would have had to have been like a YouTube series, and it's just like yeah. I don't want to do that. No. So, um, so uh, but. Finally got someone to like have conversations with me. Love actually was the first movie I wanted to talk about. And then the second movie I always wanted to talk about was something borrowed. So uh, I saw this movie once. It was with my mom, of course. And this uh, was, this is based off of a novel series, which we'll talk about um, that my mom actually knew and had read 
And so when she saw that there was a movie, she really wanted to see it. I was living with my mom at the time because this was, it came out in 2011. So I was living with my mom. And so I took her to the theater and because it was a rom-com, of course, we went and saw it together. That was just kind of our thing. And I had not read the novel series. I didn't know that it was a popular novel series. I didn't until, either. Yeah, until driving up to the theater when my mom told me. Is it like, <laughs> is it the something blue, something borrowed, something whatever? Something borrowed, something blue, something old, something new, which is based off of a, um, an old like poem that or i don't even know if that's a poem or, or, or i don't know what it is either but it's yeah. associated to uh weddings right um but yeah but my mom and i saw it and i like my mom didn't like it she wasn't she, she didn't have strong feelings about it but she did not like it i had strong feelings about it <laughs> i hated it <laughs> in theaters and so i was always like that was one of the least enjoyable experiences I've had watching a film in theaters in a long time. And I finally had an excuse to watch this movie again for this podcast nine years later. And it's well, a, once again, one of the least enjoyable experiences I've had watching a movie. Um, but uh, had you seen this movie before? Um, I... I may have because uh, like I texted you last night saying that I thought a lot of the scenes towards the end looked very familiar mm-hmm. um, for multiple reasons. And, but I couldn't honestly remember the movie in, in its entirety. So I was thinking maybe I watched it with an ex-girlfriend at one point and just it maybe didn't pay attention to it. Or maybe it was on, like you said, on TV, on cable a lot. And maybe I just, you know, tuned into it at someone's house and while it was on in the background. I don't know. That's but. my theory is that because I've seen this like being rerun on FX, you know, kind of like uh, Sweet Home Alabama would get rerun a lot yeah. uh, earlier in the past decade. So like, that might I, be it. Yeah, that I might feel be like it. it was one of those things where it was like a lazy day. Nothing was on TV and your ex-girlfriend happened to stumble upon it and you happened to be there. And you were doing whatever else, and so you caught bits and pieces of it while doing whatever else you were doing. Right, right. You yeah, that might off. that might be it. Or like it was, her parents also had like uh, movies like that on all the time at their house during the day. So mm-hmm. you know, I'm thinking if we went over there for a holiday or something, or or a weekend, you know, it'd just be on in the background. I probably plopped down and watched it for a few minutes or something. But yeah. Um, so I mean. I didn't even recognize it when you suggested it. I didn't even know who was in it. And I was surprised to hear who was in it when you were saying that last week. But then when I started watching, I was like, oh, yeah, some of this actually looks familiar. But who knows? I don't fucking know. It's a shit movie. Oh, my God. Um, (laughs) And uh, I'm glad that you paired it with Love Actually, though. I think that's a good basis for a podcast. Because it's like, I feel like those are two perfect polar opposites for rom-coms like this movie isn't that as we've discussed it's not that bad of a film like yeah it's not a bad quality movie it's It's just competently made right it's the rom-com aspect of it that is so uncomfortable and the yeah the rom-com the slash plot of the movie yes the whole fucking story is so 
blatantly opposite of a quality rom-com story like love actually that i think that's a good contrast to have so i'm glad that's your that's your origin story for this podcast <laughs> yeah because like that was the other thing i kind of I, I always knew i wanted to kind of straddle the line of providing love and glory to movies that don't necessarily see love and glory or like or joining the chorus of you know praises toward movies like love actually everyone universally loves that that loves rom-coms um you know or you know just bringing attention to a movie that deserves to be shed on like this one um so let's commence by talking about the stats of the movie uh, first thing, Something Borrowed is a 2011 American romantic comedy film based on Emily Giffen's 2005 book of the same name, and it's directed by Luke Greenfield, who also directed um, The Girl Next Door, and also uh, the, he produced the film Role Models with Paul Rudd, or no, was it Paul? Yeah, it is Paul Rudd, right? Hmm. It's Paul Rudd and Shaw William Scott and Elizabeth Banks and they're LARPing. Um, sure. And he also produced and directed the film Let's Be Cops, which is an underrated comedy I want to rewatch. Uh, that was six years ago. But that was with Jake Johnson of New Girl fame and Damon Wayne Jr. also of New Girl fame. And keep in mind, this is the same year as No Strings Attached and uh, Friends with Benefits. Friends with Benefits. Hey, at this time, you're correct. Yes, I got that right at this time. <laughs> Unlike last week. Uh, and then uh, the movie stars Jennifer Goodwin, Kate Hudson, Colin Egglesfield, and John Krasinski. And it was distributed by Warner Brothers, which allowed it to be on HBO Max, which I already have a subscription of. So I did not have to rent this movie because I already pay $15 for HBO Max. But... I did have to buy it and rent it, so therefore, ergo, it's a win. Um, yeah, I had to rent it. Oh, you should have told me. I would have given you my login for my HBO Max. Okay. <laughs> um, I'll just uh, also, live with wasted. Also, yeah. Also, uh, it was produced by one of the producers was Hillary Swank. Really? Yes, she was a, a producer. She should not brag about that. (laughs) Uh, And as you notice, John Krasinski gets the and. uh, So, yeah. Um, (laughs) The movie was uh, released uh, nationwide on May 6th of 2011. Uh, The running time of the film... Uh, I'm not. I, we're not even going to talk about it. I'm not going to ask you anymore. That's 112 minutes. It was um, way too fucking long, is what it was. Yeah. Well, duh. Uh, I mean, that's 111 minutes and 59 seconds too long. Uh, <laughs> I just said that for joking purposes. It just shouldn't exist. Um, it really should. And it, uh, and then also, I texted you after I watched because I watched it first last night, and then you watched it mm-hmm. later. And I texted you about fast forwarding to a particular timestamp in order to see. Oh know. shit! I forgot to do that. Uh, Damn it! Well, I have stuff for you. 
to talk about at the end, or toward the end of this podcast because we're gonna go in order on the spot. How how long is the clip at the end? Do you know? Literally forty five seconds. Damn it. Okay. Uh, maybe we can. Maybe I can watch it really quick towards the end or something. <laughs> you can YouTube it. Yeah. Um, well, I have it rented on Amazon for the next two days true. anyway, so I could true. just pull it up. Point. Yeah. Um, the budget of the film is thirty-five million dollars. Okay. I mean, you're getting Kate Hudson. You're getting yeah. John Krasinski at a time where he's kind of popping. Jennifer Goodwin. She was in Big Love at the time, so she technically costs money as well. And you're filming in New York. Yep. That all makes sense as far as budget. And it makes sense that they didn't have enough money for a, you know, serviceable fourth actor. Um, <laughs> how much did it make in the box office? Uh, 150 mil. 60.1 million. Wow. So it, less. So. It made past its budget, but it did not get to two times its budget. Wow. Um, so it was bad. So, yeah, it's uh, the thing about movie math, as far as like box office compared to budget, is that I believe you have to make at least two times your budget in order to break even because the, the box out or the budget doesn't necessarily take into account the marketing after the film has been made. That's just for making the film. Oh. Not to mention probably like any interest from investors and stuff like that too. Exactly, like because you're looking for you know basically profit after everything else is what makes a, a you know a sequel sort of thing, right? Um, and yeah, in this case, not a lot of profit to be made, and that's very important to bookmark because of the aforementioned scene that I mentioned and. What else we'll talk about here later on in the podcast? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna look for it. Uh, keep, keep yeah, and then uh, it's what is the Rotten Tomato score for this film? Ten percent. Fifteen percent, based off of 116 reviews. All right. Uh, the critical consensus is. In spite of solid performances from Kate Hudson and John Krasinski, Something Borrowed is an unpleasant misfire that lives down to its title. <laughs> Quite frankly, that is on the fucking nose. So, all right. Oh my God. So, uh, I, I don't think that's perfect. That's I don't think we even need to talk about anything else. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Let's go ahead and get into the movie here. Uh, so let's start at the beginning. Do we have to? Like, do we? Oh God! Okay, let's go. Yes, let's go. We, we have to, Mags. This okay. is this is the you know this is the low the burden that we placed upon ourselves as you know the purveyors of this journey called romancing the stone. But I want to I want to preface once again by saying, okay, all things considered, the film wasn't bad. The film is competently made. Right. I will continually say that. Um, the film is competently made. The, the characters are whatever. They're you know, eh, we'll get into them. The writing yes. is fine. Like the direction yeah. is fine. The cinematography is fine. It's all passable. The story 
oh my god it is the most infuriating the fact that it could even have the balls to call itself a rom-com oh god it like shits all over the name okay so let's get into it yes so we start at just all of a sudden there's a club entrance and a quote-unquote plain looking girl which shout out to jennifer goodwin she is plain looking so (laughs) (laughs) jesus but you know what? what? You know what? We're not okay. We're not even getting to the movie yet. Jennifer Goodwin and Colin Egglesfield. I got some words for them. Like okay, so Kate Hudson, like the critic that said that Kate Hudson and John Krasinski gave great performances, is correct. Those two, yeah, performed really well. John Krasinski Especially almost Kate, like single handedly carried the movie. Yeah, and then Kate Hudson was fantastic because I fucking despised her character throughout the movie. Exactly. And that was a testament to Kate Hudson's good performance in the mm-hmm. character. Mm-hmm. Jennifer Goodwin and Colin Egglesfield are basically deciding between taupe and beige as a painter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so fucking true. Like, uh. the note I wrote is... Jennifer Goodwin and Colin Egglesfield are so meh, and we're supposed to give a fuck. Dot, dot, dot. Why? I wrote, how did Tom Cruise get more boring? Because he became that's, Colin Egglesfield. He became Colin Egglesfield. Holy Colin, shit. Colin, he grew six inches and became Colin Egglesfield. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it. Okay. Let's oh my god, this is a good roast. Let's get into it. All right. So she never good when approach or Rachel approaches this club. She gets in. She knows it's gonna be a surprise because she's muttering under herself, Oh my god, I'm so shocked. And she gets into the club. It's a big old surprise party where Kate Hudson as Darcy, you know, greets her and says, Oh my god, you were totally surprised, and then Kate Hudson as Darcy continues to be the life of the party, despite right. it being Rachel's 30th birthday party. Right. Um, and then you get to meet Rachel and Darcy's childhood friend, Ethan, played by John Krasinski, who, you know, just plays the best friend to he's definitely more of a friend to Rachel than to Darcy, but he is friends to both of them. Um, also, you know. did both of them sleep with him at one point? No. Neither of them slept with them. Okay, then I missed something. In her, in in Kate Hudson's character's speech during the birthday party, mm-hmm. she was talking about things that they shared as kids, and then she... she said Ethan. She's, yeah, she said something about Ethan, didn't she? Yeah, because Ethan was a friend to both of them, and also I think they shared him as like a middle school dance date. Oh, wow. Okay, I totally misread and, that then. And I think they probably both, like, both, like, childhood kissed him at one point sort of thing. Oh, okay, nothing, okay. Yeah. Nothing... So more of, like, a which, childhood friendship between the three of them. Yeah, okay, which is why it's such a thing later on in the movie when, you know, supposedly Rachel and Ethan had had sex when Darcy, quote-unquote, finds that out. Right, um, okay. okay. So, 
nonetheless, uh, and then Ethan is initially shown as kind of a dick because of his, you know, avoidance of the character of Claire, played by Ashley Williams, which was also, also hilarious. As- it was also Victoria in How I Met Your Mother. Shout out mm. to that character. My um, dream girl from that show. Yeah. Uh, and she perf- she performs it pretty well because she is, yeah, like, absolutely, like, I... She's, she's terrifying. The eyes. The eyes. The crazy. Dude, the eyes. They're crazy. <laughs> That's just a How I Met Your Mother reference. Huh? <laughs> so... <laughs> But yes, he is so flippant of Claire, especially because he's slept with Claire, um, and he just doesn't nut up and tell her to that he's not interested. Um, and they're in the same group of friends, so it's like you should nut up and tell her you're not interested, but he doesn't. So that's just that's the one demerit to his character. The rest of the movie, he's pretty cool, but that's pretty shitty. I would uh, argue that there was one other period where he wasn't cool, and it was the very fucking end when he admits that he fucking loves her that's like bitch i liked you because you were removed from all this bullshit and now you just threw your hat in the in the ring fuck off now i hate you we could talk about that in a second or well in minutes um so (laughs) uh, and then we also meet darcy's fiance dex who went to law school with rachel oh my god Uh, dex played by colin egglesfield who uh, was a soap actor and was he? Nothing, yeah, and he's done nothing else since, um, as far as I know. He looks like know. a soap actor. Yeah. Um, but according to, uh, yeah, he's known, as, he's known for his roles as Josh Madden in All My Children and Augie Kirkpatrick in Melrose Place of the CW's. And he was also Evan Parks on the client list. Huh. Okay. So, all right. Not really worth being in a rom-com, but okay. Um, he, the last thing he was in uh, was an episode of Chicago Fire in 2018. All right. Which There's is, a... in fact, occasionally shot in Chicago. Yeah, yeah. Shy town let's go. Uh, but this movie is set in New York. Um, oh, yeah. So, New York. yeah. So, Darcy proceeds to get drunk as hell, and then she gives a speech during at the beginning where she goes through a slideshow de- basically detailing the close friendship that she's had with Rachel, where they have showed their absolute like friendship from young kids to now. She mentions how she got accepted to Notre Dame, but gave it up to join right. Rachel in New York when Rachel got to NYU for law, um, and how uh, you know her, those two, and Ethan have you know basically been friends since childhood. Yada yada. Darcy proceeds to get drunk, gets taken home by Dex, and then she left her purse. Dex comes back. And is there with Rachel, uh, who hasn't, who's just about to leave. Rachel helps Dex find the purse. They decide to get a drink after. And that's when Rachel admits that she had a crush on Dex back in law school. And a kiss. And then Dex kisses her. And they proceed to sleep together. And the 
title card, something borrowed, comes up 12 minutes into the film. And so that was the first time that I paused the film and texted you and said, 10 minutes in, I already hate literally everyone I've been introduced to. Yes. That's why I wanted to talk about that intro first. If there's one thing in this podcast that we've established about my buddy Max Lyon, it's how much he despises infidelity. <laughs> yes. And now this movie is built on the foundation of infidelity. Yes. Your thoughts? Um, I think there was only one thought at that point, and it was, well, you're dead to me. And you being the movie. Like, I was already done. I had written it off. I was like, okay, whatever. Um, the only redeeming factor that can come from this is if she doesn't end up with him. And instead, like a better, different relationship is forged throughout the course of the film. But no, it didn't follow that course. It just dove into this so-called fucking relationship that they have that's, oh, just because it's based on a childhood, you know, past. It, well, that's sweet and all, so we're going to build, build on that. Then don't introduce it right off the bat as infidelity. Yep. Uh... One thing I also forgot to mention is the character of Marcus, um, who uh, is oh, yeah. played, yeah, who is played by Steve Howey, who was in the show Reba. Um, I'm not a huge fan of that actor, and Me neither. his care, but as that character, he does pretty well. I mean, he does pretty well because once again, you're not supposed to like him, and you don't. So. Yes, I, I just, it, it's, it's, it's so ballsy to make, to make a movie with like, especially because when they show the title card, they use this like kind of flourish of like, like these musical flourishes and like little, you know, things in the score, like how romantic when right, Dex right. and Rachel do something when Dex is literally engaged to her so-called best friend. Yes. So it's already like so convoluted, like 10 minutes in, I am so uncomfortable by literally everything I've been shown so far. Like, yeah. because I'm imagining from an adult perspective, I can not, really empathize necessarily because i thankfully haven't been in that exact situation but at least i can understand what it would feel like mm -hmm. and like oh my god it's like nothing about the the 10 minutes in nothing about it is comfortable like i am so uncomfortable i'm like this is not how a rom-com should feel but okay mm -hmm. and, and the whole story is like that. It doesn't get any better or any different. The whole plot is nothing but drama and back and forth bullshit. And, and I'm supposed the... to root for them to get together and then they finally do. And it's like, fuck off with everything that I just saw. That was the other thing I wanted to bring up with the intro part here is that once again, this film is competently made. I will continue to say that refrain. Because it sets up so much of that, the friendship and the dynamic between Darcy and Rachel, 
like that Rachel just continually doesn't say what's on her mind because in because for you never know why you never know why she is the way she is right like Which why is- why has she chosen to put herself on the back seat like what in her life made her think that she's supposed to be where she's at because like she's just accepting the back seat role to Darcy and it can't just be because that was the dynamic and like growing up like there has to be some other sort of reason that's not fleshed out and never explored i have an idea even if it was the dynamic of their childhood great in fact use that as the title scene open up with a scene of like old like family video footage of the two of them together as kids and some defining event or something or uh, proving their dynamic together as friends that helps establish who they are as friends to each other and why she's taken on this diminutive role in the friendship. Yeah. Immediately explains it, immediately establishes their friendship and their relationship. Then we go from there into the rom-com. Why we have to open with their adult version of the friendship and then immediately launch into infidelity no idea but yeah um it's so but also like the the characters are so established like you just know who they are and what they're going to do throughout the movie so there's you know it's there's no character growth there's no character development or anything they're just they're just there At the same time, at the same time, we're talking about a timeline technically of four months total, and the bulk of the movie is within the same like sixty day period. So, like, of course, there's not going to be a lot of growth within these characters because it's only been like sixty days. True. Uh, So, you know, but still, like, so as far as like how they created these characters, it you you know who they are, which means that was competently done as a film. It's just that these people fucking suck. Yeah. And that's really what it comes down to. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so we continue on into now, you know, Rachel and Dex have the secret that they're trying to keep from Darcy and it becomes really tough to keep uh, as they're, you know, as they're trying to keep it, Rachel starts daydreaming about how the, her and Dex first met. Um, she sees a book about torts because every fucking oh piece God. of every piece of like any sort of media, whether it's like a TV show or a film or anything, when it talks about law, you're immediately going to talk about torts because it's a funny word, <laughs> but it's actually a real thing because <laughs> torts. <laughs> Fuck out of the here. other did you notice the the fucking flashbacks her daydreams mm-hmm. the bullshit like slow motion and fade out effects that they did you notice how often they used like some slow motion effect well yes yeah, they were that's how they were trying because this movie is making sure you know we're going back in time because Jennifer Goodwin and Colin Egglesfield already look like they're 30 but we're going to have to make sure you know they're now 22 
it was it was so it was so weird it was so bad too i hated that of all the things that they actually did well for like a film quality standard that was the one thing that i kept noticing was just like god why are you doing slow motion stop well because the these flashbacks have to take the place of a quote-unquote meet cute it wasn't just her flashbacks though they were using it on several other scenes too where it was like it was always like the last three seconds of a scene or something you know like she'd be watching Darcy. Wait, is that her name? Darcy is Kate Hudson. Yeah. She'd be watching Darcy like dance and smile. And then it would like go to slow motion and you'd, it would just be Darcy's face laughing and smiling slow motion. And that would be the end of the scene. And it's like, what the fuck? Why are you doing slow motion? It's like the whole movie was in a dream. Which I didn't really notice that. I only noticed it for the flashbacks. Yeah, there's there's a lot. I was noticing a lot. It's weird. And it's overused. But I first noticed it with the daydreams, yeah. And even that, it's just like, oh my god, cheesy-ass fucking daydreams. Yeah. Uh, and so, these flashbacks to law school are supposed to take the place of watching a love develop in a normal rock yeah, so, why didn't they just make a rom-com story about as, them developing that? As well, because that's not the story that was written initially. Because, because you know, that well, story, story. the story that was written initially was shit. So we've established that. So, <laughs> nonetheless, these flashbacks they tell they're supposed to take the place of as an audience rooting for these two. That oh, they really are supposed to be together and the reason we're supposed to care is because he gives her a pen and a lecture the very first time they meet because they share jokes in a library and she's laughing really loud when everyone's studying for finals for law school because she's, you know, that's, that's a very bitch move. Everyone's studying, shut your mouth. Uh, And then they go out for a quote, they go out quote unquote, but, they go out to like a bar for some drinks and then Darcy shows up. How? Why? I, yeah. How? I, I didn't understand that either. It's never explained if she was invited or not. If she followed them, if like she randomly ran into them, like there's no explanation as to why she showed up other than the, like you have to infer that like maybe they at least live together or we're talking because they obviously are in New York together. So I'm sure well she Rachel or Darcy mentions that Rachel has talked about this guy a lot over the past few months. And so there's probably a discussion about we're going to so we're going to such and such on this night. And I'm so excited for this, you know, quote unquote date, whatever. And then Darcy just shows up as in, she tries to show up as like a wing woman. Yeah. Yeah, she did a hell Rachel, of a job. Rachel immediately tries to play it cool because she's an idiot. And then Darcy okay. just does her thing of like, well, this guy's hot. So therefore, ergo, I'm just going to go ahead and get after it. If this person is really your best friend, shouldn't you be able to say something? Like after the, even if it's after the fact, couldn't you say like, look, I, 
I actually really like him or something, you know, like I just, you spend so much time building a foundation that they're supposedly fucking best friends. And the entire movie, you, it, it nothing about it is best friendship. That's the big thing. It's just that there's no communication. It starts off on a foundation of not communicating your real feelings ever, not even yeah. alluding, not even alluding to them at all, and then the other person just shrugging and saying, "Okay." The whole then, you're right. The whole movie could have been avoided. The whole story could have been avoided with communication. Every yeah. character failed because of lack of communication. And if there's one thing that like causes the most like fervor and anger in me in this film and just also other rom-coms in general, it's when someone just instead of saying what they're supposed to say, they just shrug their shoulders like uh, like yeah. like yeah. saying and it's just like in some cases you're like okay that's that you know that's the rom-com they're gonna have their you know chase in the airport scene and they'll be okay in other cases when the whole entire movie is built on that as a foundation that's bothersome yes and that's what the case is here they built the entire movie on people not being able to say what they want to say my pet peeve is when they use it as a plot device which they did in this movie a bunch if if like you said, it's like part of the rom com story, and it's just like oh like oh shit, they missed their opportunity to to say something. Okay, well we'll get we'll get around to it later. Fine, whatever. But if they use it as like well because she didn't say anything, now this is going to happen, and it sets this chain of events in into action, and that creates another forty minutes of the movie, and it's like that's when it pisses me off because at the end of those forty minutes, I'm going so. All of this still could have been avoided by her fucking saying something mm-hmm. or him fucking saying something mm-hmm. like that's when it really pisses me off. Yeah. And yeah. And so that quote unquote date is how Darcy and Dex start. And now Rachel has a, you know, shotgun seat to watching her quote unquote true love be with her quote unquote best friend in the whole world and that's how the movie that's how the movie's built of course if you had put that in if you put that cart before the horse of them having sex 10 minutes before maybe we could salvage this but no oh. no they didn't and so <laughs> we we move forward uh and that's when they head to the Hamptons for the first time. And and uh, Darcy tries to set Rachel up with Marcus. Marcus is a bumbling idiot. He tells his chipmunk story for the first of many times. Um, and then uh, the last time Darcy and Dex have sex is heard audibly throughout the house. Because Darcy is a selfish, broad um and and then uh rachel can't stand it and so she leaves dex tries dex drives her to like the little taxi that takes you back to the city and then they're alone in a car they could talk about what they did and the fact that 
you know, Rachel probably didn't like hearing him and Darcy have sex after they had had sex and admitted feelings for each other. And what happens in that car? No. Neither of them say anything. Mm-hmm. They just leave mad at each other. Mm-hmm. Because that's how this movie is going to go. So, if you want to know why this movie is on the shit list and why this movie is going to get killed by both of us, because let's just be real. It's definitely killed. It's because of that. It's because of the fact that in a movie, or as I used to say at the old times, in a talkie, you have to talk and actually say what you feel and express those thoughts in some sort of facet. You have to either show, tell, or infer. And they leave it to infer, 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 infer. And that... until, until the pressure's built up like a goddamn pressure cooker. Then they say it at the most inopportune times. And then they don't always say all of it either. They say, they they tell like a part truth, and then then it's even more frustrating. It's like, oh, so you say part of the truth, and then are still upset with each other, or now you're hiding something that's inevitably inevitably going to surface later. We got to deal with that then. Like, why can't we just all deal with it right now? Like, just get it out. You have a chance to say all of it. Yes. So much of the inference was so infuriating and uncomfortable. It, it creates so much drama. It's like, it's childish. It's it's like college level drama. It's like you know we're I not would gonna, say we're not going to be honest with each other. We're going to hide it. And we're going to act all dramatic. And why didn't you pick see, up on my feelings? And I would I would say this is sub level. Yeah, I was being kind. Because because in college, you would at least get too drunk and then say shit. That's true. use that as the excuse to really say how you felt. Like, that's that's the college move. It's like you get stupid drunk binge drinking, and then you tell someone as you're puking at the toilet how much you really love them. (laughs) That... That's the college. Happened. Yes. Um, this is eighth to tenth grade. Yeah. <laughs> this is like yeah, middle school, early high school bullshit drama. Yeah. And they're doing it in their thirties. Thirties. They they turned thirty. They've turned thirty. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so if you're ever feeling immature. <laughs> watch this movie and remind yourself oh yeah I'm better I don't know it's kind of cathartic I would I would say people should like even though this movie will get killed by me I would still say people should watch it once because it's cathartic to watch this movie and get angry well I, I think that that's kind of like the subtext for this segment of our podcast <laughs> that's, yeah. that's for the shitless segment I think that's like like you guys need to watch these like yeah we're going to kill every single one of them and roast the shit out of them, but you have to watch them. Yeah, especially to catch these jokes that we're giving you. Yeah. Um, and if, if for nothing else, to sit down, knowing it's an awful movie, have your expectations low, break out the popcorn and the drinks and the weed and just sit there and enjoy <laughs> a night of ripping a movie apart. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um. So we, we'll we skip ahead to the 
90s cover band that Dex inexplicably wants for his wedding band. Uh, I don't know. Anyway. It was they, never mentioned again. Like, okay, well, he needed to bring this in. Like, it. yeah, they they basically wanted that band because probably one, like, the casting director or producer knew of them and was like, oh, we'll get you in this movie, get you some exposure, you know, and uh, and you guys can play, you know, oh, a couple like ni- a couple play a couple ninety songs that we want to use as the backdrop. The soundtrack was very nineties heavy. Um, like, cause they also play fake plastic trees during the rain scene later on in the movie, um, by Radiohead, which is a fantastic song that is stuck in this movie. And it's like, you can't, you can't play that song here. <laughs> you you have not it. earned it. They're trying to use it to levitate the quality of the movie. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you can't, you have not earned it. Um, although they did like, but once again, it's competently made. They didn't mix it well, where. Uh, we'll talk about that scene in just a little bit. Um, but nonetheless, they're listening to how is it going to be in round here in the background as once, as once again, Rachel and Dex tell each other that they love each other. Uh, well, at least Dex says he's still in love with her because he's an idiot. I swear uh, to God, every time they said they loved each other, because they said it a billion fucking times, so it lost yeah. all meaning. Um. But even the first time they said it, I was just like nothing about it was convincing, and you know why? Because it was built because on a fucking lie. It's built on two flashbacks. We as an audience are supposed to give a fuck about these people, based on two flashbacks at this point. Yeah, at the at the point of the concert, we're supposed to give a fuck about them because of two flashbacks and a kiss that they shared and a little bar scene that they had where this other girl who's is jealous that this guy is sitting with Rachel. Uh, Which, what the fuck does that say? Okay. Okay. Let's. Yeah. Yeah. So we move, we move, we move, we move. So because. I have so many words. (laughs) Well, (laughs) let's save them for what is actually, what I would say is the kiss of the movie. For fuck's sake. Which one is it? They kiss half a dozen times <laughs> yeah i was <coughs> this is technically their second kiss in the movie um because the first one's obviously in the cab but this one is the one in the middle of the street where she stops and she's going to go back to see him in the building where the concert's happening and he's already come out and he's waiting for her in the middle of the street and then they kiss with all those you know blurry lights of cars behind them yeah, that I thought we were going to run them over. So that yeah. was, and the, you know, they say I, I do feel the same, and they they feel the same about each other, and it's so romantic. And there's, a, fucking talked. and there's a musical flourish in the background. What did you think of the kiss, Max? I thought it was stupid. <laughs> I had a kiss in traffic once. It was the most terrifying kiss I've ever had in my life. <laughs> that might have also been because she tackled me literally in the street and there were headlights coming and i was like i'm gonna die what a way to go out that actually happened that was that was college for you <laughs> what who, who was it um i honestly don't remember i'm sorry it was uh what it was someone that i met uh at taylor's one night, uh, 
Uh, and I think I was playing. I was wingmanning for Chris, my roommate. Ah, okay. and he was he was flirting up with uh, a girl whose friend was there, and so I was playing the friend game. Gotcha. So I was distracting the friend, and then she got way drunker, way faster than I did. And by Which the end of the night, I was like, to "Happen because she's probably smaller than you." Right. Um, and so I was going to be nice about it. And I was like, look, I'll walk you home. Cause she lived right by the campus. And so I walked, I was like, I'll walk you home and make sure you get home safe. Like we're walking and I'm not really reciprocating anything. She just fucking tackled me in the street. She was getting so drunkenly sexually aggressive, but like beyond the point that it was attractive. Like yeah. It was terrifying. I was actually scared. It was, <laughs> so he tackled me in the middle of the street, like on the double line. And luckily it was like a tiny little campus road. So like there weren't many cars on it at night, but I could see headlights down the road. Like it was coming eventually. <laughs> she was terrifyingly strong too. She had me pinned for a few seconds. So yeah, there you go. So, uh, so what grade would you give that kiss? <laughs> That was a better kiss than this one. <laughs> that was way better. More uh, believable, that's for fucking sure. Well, what's the grade? Fucking F. It was uh, so awkward. It was weird looking. And I just wasn't rooting for them anyway. So, like, you know, I didn't want to see them kiss. Uh, I, I thought the scene was okay-ish. It was just very boring typical rom-com kind of scene like it was like let's think of the most stock footage thing we can use and it just everything about it was just ugh. so i'll start with the shorter list here's what i liked about the kiss <laughs> i'm surprised there is a list i liked the way that the blurry headlights looked behind them. It, like, it created a cool-looking scene where, like, you have, like, these lights and, like, reflection of lights kind of behind them. So, like, they they kept the cars out of focus in the background and had them in focus in the foreground. That was a cool this, effect. It was a cool effect. And then, like, and then also there's, like, this kind of arch. I don't know what street they're on in New York, but, like, this kind of, like, arch slash, like, building type thing that like I don't know, there was a cool effect in background behind it that was visually appealing the background was visually appealing right let's go into the things that i don't like <laughs> one jennifer goodwin two colin egglesfield three the way that their lips met weird looking <laughs> kiss that they had and then four and the biggest thing they're standing in the middle of the fucking street that's okay. So I out of the fucking street. Are they though? Because then it panned out at one point, it, or it and didn't pan the cars out. Cars were and the cars were swerving around them. If this is real fucking New York, someone's yelling outside the fucking window, "Get the fuck out the street!" Someone's probably pulling a gun on them. Like someone probably gets out of the car, like "Get the fuck out of the street!" Like someone approaches them aggressively, yes. telling them to get the fuck out the street, or and possibly them. gets physical with them. Like that's how. It would be in New York. Yeah, I couldn't. Especially I couldn't figure out if they were on a, 
if they were on a corner, like a curve, curved road, and the cars kept like curving. At one point, they look like they're coming at them, but then they follow the path of the curve and curve away from them. But it did kind of look like they were going around them on both sides. Yeah, because like when they initially come out, there's like no cars, so like it seems like it's a closed street. And then all of a sudden, there's cars coming through and then swerving around, yeah. them. like this effect that's swerving around them. So it's like, is this a through street or not? Yeah, I could not line. figure it out. Like, what, what are they is standing on an island, like a median or something? It's like, is the background shot that you had behind these two people in the foreground, was it really worth it to lose all sets of logic in the scene? Well, they should have they should have reversed it. They should have started with the wider perspective so you can see where they're walking and where they stop. And then the final scene, the final viewpoint of the scene is them kissing with a very abstract headlights background behind them. That's why we, why I keep saying this movie is competently made. Yeah. I'm not saying this movie is well made. It is competently made because the initial background is a cool effect and they made it look somewhat cool, but there's much more wrong than there is right in this film and in that kiss. I give it a D. I'll, the, the background keep, gets it from an F. I give it yeah. a D. All right. That's fair. That's fair. But yes, after that kiss, Rachel goes home and is super duper excited. And Dex leaves a message saying, I want you to come to the Hamptons this weekend. And it's like, bitch, why? Like, what? What, do you, what is, what is the, like, what is the plausible best case scenario here also they're both acting like they just started a this cute new relationship and they're all they're both so infatuated with each other they're in the puppy dog phase you know yes and it's like Like, you don't get to act like that he is getting married in less than 60 days yes what is wrong with you people to your best friend you're acting like you're both so innocently in love, and it's like you are the destroyer of worlds. <laughs> you don't get to be giddy right now. Yeah, and also, what exactly does Dex plan on? Like, does he plan on somehow finding a way away from Darcy at some point over the weekend in the Hamptons to now? make out in bed Rachel like how exactly like what's his grand plan and we find out he doesn't fucking have one yeah the grand plan is to have Rachel look at Dex and Darcy like frolic around as an engaged couple because that's what the fuck they are and then she just gets to pout all weekend and that's also when Ethan remember him oh yeah this is when he starts turning into a good character yeah uh we're not even going to mention the other storyline he has with Claire. Like, oh, just, no, no. We did, that's and it, that's all it did take. That's, that's all it deserves. That's all it deserves. Yeah. Um, so this is when he starts turning to a good character, because this is when he starts noticing something off between Dex and Rachel. And then, of course, Rachel is pissed about the weekend because she and Dex never hang out, because Dex is hanging with Darcy the whole time. There's that dance scene in the club, which we're not going to talk about either because it's stupid yeah. um and then 
there's the office scene where Dex has sent her roses and has a card that says, can we talk? Oh, I, I will. You, you missed or you skipped over the, the beach scene where Ethan storms off and, and finally tells her off. Nope. Nope. That's a later Hampton that's, scene. God, there's too many fucking Hampton scenes. I know. All right. Whatever. Keep going. So, um, uh, yeah, I was getting a break on the, the flower scene and that card. Oh, is, yeah, because that's where Ethan figures it out. Um, this is where Ethan, uh, no, confronts Rachel. He's already figured it out because he doesn't accept her lie. Right. Because she says they're for Marcus. Right. Ethan's like, there's no fucking way they're for Marcus. And then he's like, who are these flowers from? And she's, and he's like, or do you want me to guess? Please don't. And she says, please don't. And that's when, boom, Ethan is now involved yep. and knows about what's happening. So, and I thought he handled his involvement very well. Very politically correct. Because technically he's a friend and grew up with both sides of this whole thing. And with Darcy and Rachel. And he gives her some solid advice too throughout the yes. course. Like he, he acts as the but, one character in the whole movie that actually has some sort of sound reasoning in his brain. On the opposite end of the spectrum, this is some true fuckboy behavior from Dex. Sending oh, flowers totally. to the other woman to apologize for his behavior with his, the woman he's betrothed to. That is fuckboy 101. Yep. Kudos to you, Dex, you fuckboy. He really personifies <laughs> fuckboy. Fuck yeah. That is that is fuckboy 101 right there. That is true horrible shit right there. What's interesting is initially, you know, there there's the whole idea of spending the 4th of July in the city when they're all alone uh, while everyone else is going to the Hamptons. And then, you know, Ethan provides the advice of if, you know, I would say do it because if the, if the, what is it? If the roles were reversed, that's the word. Those are the words. Roles were reversed. Darcy wouldn't hesitate. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That was a good, that was a good spin. And it's a good point. It is a good point because that is true. Never forget, Darcy is a selfish broad in this movie. Yes. She's acted well by Kate Hudson, and we're not mentioning her a lot because you know who she is. Right. She's self. She's a selfish broad, who's like, and you know, we'll get to her later. But at the same time, you know who she is. She's not doing any shady shit. She's just directly right, 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 selfish right. to your face. You know, and. It's just it. We'll get back to Ethan and Darcy later. But <laughs> that can be some bad advice too, because as we've shown, as as we're shown in the movie, she takes the advice, and now we have a supposed protagonist that has lowered herself to the hateable character's level. She is now the other woman. Yes. 
So now and, she is the hateable character, and supposedly we're supposed to root for her to end up with this guy? Well, because this, you know, quote-unquote plain Jane is all, you know, a wreck when he shows up to her doorstep. Like, oh my god, what am I going to do? Bitch, you banged in that bed. Yeah. What are you worried about at this point? You've fucked. Like, you've, and like, and he's still around. You're in a good spot. <laughs> you're, as a woman, you fucked, and he is still, and he's come back to your place of residence. You are in a good spot. <laughs> so, why is this a thing? And along the same lines, why are you so weirded out about holding hands when his penis has been inside of you. Yeah, that did not make sense to me at all. I hated that. I hated that. I hated that choice. It's like, like you can't touch it. Like, this is pre-coronavirus pandemic, everyone. So make sure you understand that aspect of it. Like, now, I'd I have rubber gloves on. <laughs> like, I would rather, like, if I were a woman, I'd rather have a penis inside of me than hold hands with someone at this moment well you just have to use a hand condom <laughs> well like like there but the hand holding is, is just like what the fuck's and then they end up on the roof next and it's like where did they go if they end up on the roof because they were walking around the corner so like did they go get oh, dinner yeah. back yeah. to the roof that had to be it like they had to go get dinner around the corner and then come back to her room they must have. Which we, that has to be it. Because it doesn't make sense to just do a fucking lap around it and then end it back on the roof. Right, right. And then, what's their conversation? What the conversation always is. Didn't you know how much I liked you back in law school? Everything comes back to how they felt about each other in law school. Not about how do you feel today? <laughs> what pressures do you feel, you know? How are we going to progress forward? What's our future? Yeah. It's like if you want to use that as a bonding moment, that's fine. Like that's obviously how you establish that you like each other and you, you know, you bond over the oh, you guys liked each other at the same time way back when and oh my god, you've liked each other ever since. Okay, cool. Bonding moment. Let's move on. Mm-hmm. Let's build from it. They just live but, in that moment. But that's the basis of the entire connection. Uh they bang they wake up the next morning and he says, I love you in her bed. Well, she missed a golden opportunity to say that the night before. I don't remember what it was in, in script now, but it was in dialogue. It was like a perfect moment for him to say it. And I thought it at the time. And then the next morning he wakes up and awkwardly says it. I'm like, oh. after watching her sleep, which, yeah. you know, she's into it at the moment because she's in like there, she's in the puppy dog phase, but it, from an outside view, that's just creepy behavior, regardless of your history. Right. Um, yeah. And then they go walking, and the the creepiest line of the whole movie is him saying to her, "Imagine I'm holding your hand right now," as if they're fucking sexting or like having phone sex, like across the <laughs> like there's some long distance relationship. And he's on the phone just like, imagine I'm holding your hand right now. It's just, ew. Just ew. Just fucking ew. Ew to everything that's happening right now. High school. Like, very high school shit. Yes. 
And then we get introduced to Dex's parents, who are fucking loaded as far as money is concerned. If they're going to buy him a house out in Westchester. Yeah. But there's a key component from the original story that's supposed to be inferred about the mother that's causing Dex's decisions moving forward. Do you know what afflicts the mom in this film? I don't think they ever say. I just assumed it was like cancer or something. Yes, they do not say. All they say is that mom looks good. Shows she's the happiest she's ever been when they go to the bar. And then the dad says, you have to do what's right. And, you know, marry because the wedding is making her happy, yada, yada. So in the story, the mom is actually depressed. She suffers depression. What? Suffers with depression. And so she's had an uptick ever, like ever since, you know, basically. I thought she had some sort of terminal illness. She said, well, she suffers from depression, but still. I'm not, I'm not downplaying the seriousness of depression. I'm just saying, I thought she had like years to live tops. Ah. You know, like they were like monitoring her condition to make sure she was alive, that kind of thing. Like, okay, whatever, yeah. whatever. Another another fucking inference that went awry. Yeah, the route you're supposed to go is that um, he's progressing forward with Darcy because it looks good and it makes his mom happy that he's living this picturesque life, uh, and therefore he's curing her depression with the choices that he's making in his life. I mean, I took the leap that even if it was a terminal illness, it was helping her health, whatever, whatever he was doing was helping her health. Yeah, I got that. And that's because you're a seasoned rom-com vet who's watched 36 of these over the last 36 weeks to ask just a general audience member to figure that out from how you made this. Oh yeah. This is a competently made film, but it is not a well-made film. Because if there's a well-made film, at some point, the idea of depression afflicting the mob would have come through in the dialogue more than she's been the happiest she's ever been. Yeah. That, I mean, yeah. And then the dad just is being a, a dick dad and yada, yada, blah, blah. Okay. And then they, Dex and Rachel go back to Rachel's place and he tells her just... Whatever happens next, just know I meant what I said. And kisses her on the cheek and then walks away. Because, once again, Dex is a fuckboy. Mm-hmm. Fuckboy 101 right there. That is fuckboy 101. So how many how many times have they uh, gotten together and broken it off at this point now? Like a billion? And we got a few more to go? I mean, how many times has he given her just enough rope for her to hang herself in? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like he tells her how much he likes her, gives her a kiss, and then tells her to go to the Hamptons and she witnesses him and Darcy frolicking around. Yeah. He sends her roses and says, let's stay on the 4th of July. And then uh, they have that 4th of July weekend. And by the end of the 4th of July weekend, he's immediately cut it off to the point where they haven't been, they haven't talked at all. <sighs> like he, he, he's just, this is typical fuckboy behavior. Notice he didn't actually end things. He just ghosted. 
Yes. Like, he didn't actually say, look, I don't think I can follow through with this. Again, communication. My mom is fucking depressed and I'm worried about her. I have to go through with this and live with what I've done with you now. I'm sorry, but life has to go on. Something like that, maybe? And then, and then Rachel, if she was communicative, would be like, hey, you can't solve her depression with the choices that you make in life. And wouldn't she be ha- just as happy knowing that you're actually happy as opposed to playing happy? Like, there's a whole conversation that's supposed to be had in this situation to get out of the situation. And instead, they choose to say nothing. And then right after that, followed up with, oh, you know what? You're right. I, I actually don't feel that way about Darcy. Talks to Darcy. Darcy goes, it's okay. I actually cheated on you, so we're all good. Yeah, like, because that's the weekend that she first bangs Marcus. Yeah, like, fucking end of movie. Done. <laughs> and what's interesting is that that's kind of the next, like, moving point. I mean, Ethan, of course, continues over lunches to give Rachel good advice. Um, and then the you know she and then all of a sudden rachel runs into marcus somehow yeah, and it's weird. informed that darcy and dex are getting a house bought for them and so she talks to darcy for the first time in a while uh it was like you never told me you were getting a house and then it was on speakerphone and dex is like oh you know da-da-da-da. darcy of course is playfully asking about you know, Marcus in bed. Um, and then, you know, because Rachel is jealous, she says Marcus is circumcised. The only reason I bring this up is because that's brought up later. Um, and, but because she says that, Dex all of a sudden, fuckboy101, gets jealous and is trying to reach out mm. to Rachel. Can we talk? Can we hang out? And she says, go talk to your house. So after the bachelorette party, there's a Darcy decides to sleep over with Rachel because she hasn't hung out with her in a while. At that sleepover, she admits that she cheated on uh, Dex. And that's a bit of a game changer. Dex, this is the fuckboy part. Because he heard about the circumcised part, he is supposed to be on his own bachelor party. He calls her at three in the morning at her, uh, calls Rachel at Rachel's door. At three in the morning, asking if they could be t- if they could talk. God, that's such fuckboy behavior! Just, oh my god! Oh, oh my god! It's so yeah. You're <laughs> if in in a normal circumstance, that might be romantic. It's but, toxic. No, it's toxic. It's not a normal circumstance. circumstance. Is normal. Like if it was just the two of them dating, and. You know, they got in a fight or something, and he shows up at 3 a.m. to apologize. Like that, you know, whatever. That could be spun as romantic. Whenever jealousy is the inciting feeling toward any sort of action from a guy to a girl, it's immediately just covered in fuckboy. Oh, no, I'm taking jealousy out of the equation. Well, that's what caused this, though. Well, yeah, but I'm saying the sheer action of showing up at a, you know at her door at 3 a.m. to you know apologize for something or what could be romantic, but that's that's just that action. The reason he's I doing see. that action is all fucking wrong. Yeah, I I follow the idea of the comic about the season one. Nothing good ever happens after 2 a.m. <laughs> like so, after 2 a.m., 
do not call, do not do anything. You take, you go to sleep and you wake up and you start the new day with the, with the plan of action. And also yeah. you make that phone call from the comfort of your own home before you fucking take the cab or whatever the fuck to her place. That's where it's sketchy as well. Like I'm outside your door. Like that's not the time to make the call. The call yeah. is to be made before you make the trek to her door. So I disagree with you, Max, <laughs> on that. Um, uh, but nonetheless, so because Dex is there, that causes Rachel to make up a lie that it's Ethan outside. And Darcy's like, oh, my God, you and Ethan have been banging. Then we move on to that lunch scene where Ethan is just like, do something. <laughs> do anything. Just do something. Tell Dex that Darcy cheated on him. Like, make a move on Dex. Just stop waiting. For just stop waiting. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. and of course, Rachel tries to deflect back to him because she's defensive because that's her only sense of because she's because they haven't communicated the whole fucking movie. So why? Because she's horrible. Because she's because she's horrible. She's horribly insecure and tries to put the blame on elsewhere yeah. when it should be so solely on her and then that's when ethan lets her know i'm moving to london a publisher wants to help me write my book so i'm doing something i'm making decisions i'm making moves in life what about you bro and of course she's just like you know if you want to help you should butt out and he's like fine whatever i'll butt out but they end up all going to the hamptons and they're playing a game of badminton and in this badminton game, I actually like the scene. I did too, actually. I like the scene because this is the part where it's just like Ethan really like this whole beach scene is where Ethan is this A1 star. And like this is where it's just like as as an audience member watching this, I was pumping my fist throughout the beach scene as Ethan was just like, all right, fuck you, 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 you and you. We're going after this right now. Yeah, it was, the gloves definitely came off. That was fun to yeah. watch. Yeah, so within this badminton scene, there's, you know, just normal little trash talk. Ethan is just being, you know, pit, like pithy with like little comments here and there about, you know, all the deceit going on. And then they finally, or I guess Darcy says, you know, well, every, so a secret for every point, you know, every point that we right. score you know, we'll tell a secret or whatever. Um, and so when Dex and Darcy score the first point, Darcy spills the beans that uh, Ethan and Rachel have been sleeping together, which Dex doesn't take very well because fuck boy. <laughs> uh, and Claire doesn't take well because the eyes, they're crazy. <laughs> um, so <laughs> then uh, it becomes Ethan and Dex playing a very spirited game of one-on-one -on -one badminton because Ethan's already pissed that he got drug into the whole thing right, right. Rachel with the sleep together, especially because, as we find out later on, he actually has feelings for her. And so there's that, we'll unpack which, that. Which, we'll, why we'll, do you we'll London we'll, without... We'll unpack that. We'll, we'll, unpack, we'll unpack that. So then Dex and Ethan have their spirited game where Dex is playing as if it's Wimbledon match point that he's trying to protect because he cannot let this secret out 
because fuck boy. But Ethan wins the point. He's about to drop knowledge. And then Rachel hits him in the nose with the racket. Yep. Then they go to the beach and he's lecturing her about, you know, not, not taking Darcy's shit anymore and standing up for herself. And then he storms off and says, probably. Well, I mean, so, yeah. So basically he's using the water to help with his nose. And Rachel initially comes at him all stank saying, how could you? When it, and he's like, how could I, how could you, you nearly broke my fucking nose. <laughs> like, what the fuck's wrong with you? Look yeah. at yourself. And she's trying to pin it on him. And he's all like, no, no, no. This is all you're doing. You keep my name out your mouth on this whole fucking thing. And you stop, like, and start actually taking, like, moving forward. Because you're being, you're being the dumbest of all. And then he tells her, like, but yeah, you're not going to do anything. And he's going to continue on with Darcy. And you guys are just going to continue to look at each other from afar. And it basically lays it out that nothing's going to happen because they're both scared, you know, wusses. Right. And she says, you're an asshole. And he looks back and he goes, well, I'm the only asshole here who gives a shit about you. Yep. Yep. Boom. Mic drop. Pick your job off the beach, bro. From there, Ethan is gone. They go to that bar that they go to at the Hamptons. And finally, Rachel somehow stands up to Dex about making a choice, making a decision in a rainstorm in the summer in, in the Hamptons, which, I mean, I guess it could happen in August, that rainstorm there at the Hamptons. But she... She's trying to tell Dex to make a choice, which he deserves that speech, but from her, it doesn't make sense. Like, the fuck are you saying? Like, why are you the one saying this? Like, just spitting out basically what Ethan told her to say. And then they do another flashback, all while Flake Patrick, fake plastic trees is playing. And she realizes it's her fault to begin with. Which that, is just dumb. Like, why is she fucking... How has she spun it to where she's still somehow to blame? Like, because she is in this case. She's the one who never spoke up. She realizes that because she didn't speak up, this whole thing started. And it's like, well, kudos to you. It just took an hour and 40 minutes of movie time. And basically everything else horrible that's happened in life. <laughs> like all the nights yeah. who probably cried over this to finally realize, oh, I started this whole fucking mess. Also, shouldn't he just come to this conclusion on his fucking own? Like if he's any sort of worth it, like shouldn't he be able to just realize like, hey, I need to make a fucking decision. Or where are his friends telling him to man the fuck up? I just feel like he's such a fuckboy he doesn't have any friends. Probably, yeah. Um, yeah, and then she runs back and she says, you know what, I realized it was my fault and here's, you know, my I'm choose, I love you, I have feelings for you. Call off the wedding and let's like build a life together. And then Dex tells her, I can't. 
because of the whole doesn't the explain wedding. why yeah doesn't explain why doesn't mention anything about his mom doesn't do any of that just says i can't and as fake plastic trees ends it's got this odd like fade out that kind of sounds like you know like a ringing in your ears and i thought that that was a nice touch to her face in reaction to dex saying that to her yeah and it was just like oh okay like that competent filmmaking but nonetheless she just got told no by dex and so now what she do she goes to ethan again because she's the worst and she meets him in london and ethan tells her while they're in london that he had feelings for her but he realizes she's in love with someone else and so he which i thought was just such, such an unnecessary part like i agree and here here's why it's if that is an actual thing like of him being in love with her quote unquote then how long has it been they've known each other since childhood he she's been single throughout we assume because she's ha- held a torch for dex this whole time he just found out that Rachel and Dex are doing something. So unless he already knew about her unrequited feelings for Dex, there's been a whole window he could have approached her at any point in time and never yeah. did. Yeah. Or she's been pining for Dex the whole time and he's been waiting for her to get over that to then make his move. But either way, it's just like none of that makes sense within the story. The reason I feel like they added that is because he's the only likable character out of the four. <laughs> and as a rom-com watcher and like audience member, you're rooting for her to, for Rachel to end up with Ethan. Right. I, when I was watching it the first time, I was rooting for them to end up together. Me too. But then I realized by the end how much I hated Rachel. Yes. So I don't want her to end up with him. I want him to end up with someone better. Yes, exactly. And so, I mean, as a second time and knowing everything, that's exactly how I feel as well. But I feel like in the film, they had to put that piece in there. They yeah. had to put that little part in there yeah. to kind of tie a bow and just let everyone know, hey, they're not going to end up together. This is not the happy ending road. We're going to go the other route. And we hope you enjoy it. And we did not. So, and we did. We get back to uh, the final scene, basically, uh, of of Rachel getting back from London. Dex is on her doorstep being a fuckboy and letting her know he called off the wedding. And that was after a a dinner scene montage with some music in the background where he looks at his mom and his mom has like an unhappy frown on her face at a dinner. And I guess that was kind of the lights or the switch being flipped on like oh i can't cure her depression with my choices and he finally like nutted up and said you know told everyone to fuck off i don't want to marry darcy that was that was so much inference on top of already existing inferences (laughs) yes exactly like we're already already assuming we know she has depression which we don't know like you didn't tell us that so you're already assuming that and on top of that you're adding that we can also infer that by looking at her and seeing her still depressed despite the situation he's staying in 
he's going to call it off and then he does call it off because of that like there's so many levels of inferences holy fuck yes and as rachel and dex go into rachel's apartment who shows up darcy and then darcy says i called off the wedding (laughs) initially because what which I find hilarious the way she said it. Yeah. Because it's just like, you fucking bitch. <laughs> like, you laugh, though, because it's Kate Hudson saying it. And Kate right. Hudson is so good at that role. Like, I've, I've, like, I keep upping, like, how good she is in this movie. She is very good. Yeah. She is very good in this movie. Um, so, which, that's important for a discussion here in a little bit. Uh, so, yeah, she basically breaks down that she and Marcus have had a fling and she's now pregnant with Marcus's baby. And she says all this while Dex is hiding. So he overhears all this. Uh, and Darcy's like, well, I'm about to, you know, go into motherhood. I'm going to really need you for this, Rachel. So buckle up, you know, cause you're going to be there by my side and uh, I'll talk to you later. And she leaves. Then she knocks back on the door and then she says, that's Dex's coat, and he was wearing it today. I loved that little bit. That's competent filmmaking. Yeah. Because yeah. you think Rachel's going to get, and Dex are going to get away with it. You think that there's going to be some sort of clean ending there. Clean break. You think there will be no comeuppance. And then the comeuppance occurs. <laughs> and and then she finds Dex, and Darcy flips shit, and Dex flips shit, and Rachel starts crying because of Rachel course. starts crying. Of course, because it's and... so fucking... oh, <laughs> so here's the truth finally fucking comes out. Didn't right? take none of them stepped up and actually admitted anything. It took a coat left out in the open and Darcy's fucking weird ass noticing it, and Rachel not being able to come up with a lie on the fly. Like, fucking come on. You're a lawyer. I know, exactly. You're a lawyer! <laughs> All right. So, what's crazy about this is the nuance that Darcy kind of has a leg to stay on with her yelling and, and reaction to all this. Agreed. Dex has a leg to stand on with his reaction to all of this. Rachel has no leg to stand on. Rachel's fucked. And Rachel, so Rachel just is off to the side crying because she's, she and she started all this because she didn't fucking step up in the first place six years ago or eight years ago, whatever the fuck. And then, uh, and this progresses to a final scene two months later where fucking Rachel's picked up a dry clean shirt for Dex and she runs into Darcy. They do that whole like pithy catty. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm so happy. And da, da, da. I and am happy though. Darcy's really happy though. She is really happy. She's sure. about to be okay. a mom and she rubbed her belly. And okay. and then they just kind of look back and it's obvious like that friendship is done. Uh-huh. And that was kind of the epilogue to the friendship. Yeah. And then Rachel walks around the corner to Dex and they exchange a kiss and he takes the dry clean shirt and they walk over to their place and the fucking credits roll. And they hold hands. Oh, yeah. They hold hands. They because they couldn't hold hurt. hands. 
He's put his dick inside her several times. <laughs> God forbid they hold hands. So this is going to be, I know that we've talked now for about an hour and a half on this pod. Um, and in real time, over two hours for Max and I, because we spent a yeah. half hour talking about this shit. Um, unfortunately, what happens after Ever After is a bit of an elongated one compared to what it's been previously in podcasts. Well, yeah, because they allude to shit. Here's the thing. There is a sequel novel to Something Barn. It is called okay. Something Blue. Right. So... Uh, if you, if for some reason you watch this film and you stick through the credits, which who would watch the credits? There's not going to be any fucking bloopers. This isn't like that kind of comedy where there's going to be bloopers during the credits or anything. So like who the fuck would stick around for like a minute and a half it's, listening to Natasha Bedingfield to catch a fucking stray scene. But that's what you have to do in this film. There's a stray totally scene on par with at, Ferris Bueller. Yeah. An hour, 50 minutes, 30 seconds in. Uh, there's a fucking scene where they go to London. Ethan is hanging out with new friends, having a beer. And all of a sudden he just hears Ethan, Ethan. And it's Darcy with bags showing a little bit, trying to wave him down. And he sees her. Well, he first tries to act like he's not hearing it. Then he sees her and he walks the other way. And then she chases him. And that's, and then it says to be continued. I I got so angry at that. <laughs> After the, the ending uh, musical notes, listeners, tens and tens of listeners, uh, you'll hear Max's real-time reaction oh, to that. putting that on here? I'm putting it at the very end as a tag, so everyone can look forward to that. Yeah, because I didn't I, – <laughs> Renee told me to listen to it or to watch it last night when I was watching the movie, and I completely forgot. So this morning, we get on to record, and – we always do a little preamble before we actually like start the episode. But uh, I was watching it on YouTube and the mic was hot. So you could hear me reacting. To it. <laughs> <laughs> I got so angry. <laughs> that movie made me so angry last night that I was like pacing around my living room for a good five minutes afterwards, just like getting some of the anxiety and like discomfort out. <laughs> And like, yeah. nervous energy and shit. And then this morning, like I was fine and like I woke up happy and everything and like had a nice morning. So I didn't have all the pent up rage until I watched that again. And it totally brought it all back. <laughs> so as I mentioned, there's a to be continued. There's another novel called something blue, something blue. Well, something borrowed in the novel is told from Rachel's first-person point of view. Okay. Something Blue is told from Darcy's first-person point of view. So she, the first half of the book actually kind of rehashes her uh, view of everything that happened between all of them. Interesting. And she mentions how Dex, when she first met Dex, she noticed he was cute and that he kind of checked boxes, even though they had nothing in common and everything else that she figured. Right, she grew up thinking, you know, her looks would get her everything because that's how her mother got her, you know, father, right. a dentist. And so that's kind of how she was raised that your looks will get you everything and you don't, you know, your thoughts aren't that great. 
Um, so, uh, so she kind of put her hooks into Dex. And then, you know, as everything's happening, when she finds out she's pregnant with Marcus, she's actually, she actually plans on breaking it off with Dex when she finds out she's pregnant. And then Dex breaks it off with her. And then she finds out everything that happened. Um, so once that happens, she tries to be with Marcus. That dissolves quickly. And then, uh, then like she has a basically a falling out with her parents and with her friends like that she has throughout the movie, like the other friends besides Rachel, she has a falling mm-hmm. out with them. She really has nowhere to go except for Ethan. And so she flies to London and basically shows up on his doorstep and just goes in and kind of takes over the apartment without really giving him a heads up or, you know, trying to do anything. So she kind of does it in the same Darcy way that you, you know, see in the movie. Um, basically, she tries, she tries to do the same things as far as like she did in New York and London, but she's also pregnant. So she can't do the same things, obviously. Cool. Um, and so, and then that's when Ethan is just kind of, he does the, what he did with Rachel where he's just like, knock your shit off. Like you can't do this. Like you can't just keep trying to do what you're trying to do. Um, and so she then all of a sudden starts becoming self-aware. She starts learning things and she meets, uh, an OBGYN like, uh, who she starts dating. Um, she finds out she's actually having twin boys in the book and with, uh, Ethan, Ethan kind of creates a, or lets her live with him and then actually helps her by creating a nursery in his apartment. And so they actually grow into like this friendship that's starting to develop. Um, They both have like separate, you know, boyfriends and girlfriends that they break off with at the end. And then of course she gives birth to twin boys and she and Ethan get together at the end of that sequel. Oh my God. You gotta be kidding me. And, and then at the wedding, two years after the boys are born, uh, Dex and Rachel are there with their baby girl, and Rachel gives a great speech at the wedding. That's very touching. So That makes me hate it even more. So that's supposed to be what happens after Ever After. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, I, I can't kill this movie I, enough. <laughs> I kill this movie as well. Uh, and what really happens after ever after is that Dex cheats on Rachel very soon after they get together. Yeah. Uh, and Darcy uh, gives birth to the to the kid. And I don't know. I, I honestly don't know what she does. I, I don't know who she is. I don't know anything. Whatever. And all I know for sure is that all I know for sure is that Dex cheats on Rachel. Yeah. that's the one thing i know for sure you do not need to give them those characters any more life beyond this movie they should not have been given existence to begin with yeah well that's part of the reason why they cast it they cast uh kate hudson and john krasinski in those roles because they were planning on doing the sequel Mm. so they wanted those two to be the you know the leads of the next film. Right. Okay, that um, makes sense, man. And so, uh, and then in 2014, the 
novel author Emily Giffen confirmed that she had written the script for a sequel, Something Blue, based on like she wrote both novels in the same year, or like they were released in the same year. So she, I don't know what happened. Um, so that was three years after the film came out. She's confirmed that she'd written the script. Uh, in February 2016, Giffen continued to suggest she was working on the film sequel, but no other parties had issued any statements supporting this. As of May 2019, over eight years after the release of Something Borrowed, there is still no official news from any production companies, despite a May 2017 Facebook post from the author. <laughs> because this movie made no money, and because no one liked the characters of this film. Yeah, I, this is not something... This is not something, like, even Netflix or someone could pick up and turn into a, a sequel, like... Although like, I, I will say, the sequel, sequel came out. Um, the novel, the sequel novel, came out fifteen years ago. No one remembers this novel series. No, I sure should don't. Yeah. Although <clears throat> I would argue that parts of the parts of the story could have been salvageable. Like it's, it's got some working parts. It, what about this? If you took a similar structure or setup. To the storyline or at least the foundation of the romance in this story and you applied it to the template of when harry met sally instead where you start by when they first meet in law school or do you start with the friendship between her and darcy then you jump to when they meet in Dar and grad or law school and then you go forward throughout the timeline so you have this obviously you see that they've had this love for each other over the years but they've gone their own directions. They've had relationships with other people. And then they finally realize that they love each other and they get together. Obviously you take the infidelity out of the equation, but like, I don't, to me, that just seems like an obvious way to structure the movie. And I don't know why they didn't do that. Because if they structured this normally, it's just a, it's just a meh rom-com that provides nothing new. It's Nothing better than this shit heap that they created. The only reason this one gets made is because it create it offered a different structure that they decided to try and it failed miserably. Yeah, it did. I will give them credit for trying something new. I will give them credit for competently making the film. Yeah. But this film is killed, dead. It's oh, the worst. It's... And we welcome something borrowed to our shit list. The second da, da, film. Da, da. On our shit list. You suck. All right, Max. Uh, before we get into what <laughs> the next film <laughs> that we will review next week uh, is, uh, we'll give the socials our <laughs> Instagram. Our show Instagram is Bromancing the Stone Podcast. All together, one word, quote unquote. Bromancing the Stone Podcast. Our Twitter is Bro the Stone Pod. So at Bro the Stone Pod. And then my Twitter is is at supermarket sweep without the e in super so s-u-p-r market sweep uh and my uh instagram is relusa88 that's r-e-l-u-s-a-8-8 and then max give your instagram once again we gave it at the beginning it's uh the lionhearted which is t-h-e period l-y-o-n-h-e-a-r-t-e-d perfect and as you heard of the cold open there's a couple films that max is looking at for next week yeah so 
think, whatever you decide on. I think next week we're going to go with Fever Pitch. Fever Pitch it is. The Jimmy Fallon and Drew Barrymore rom-com involving the Red Sox. Um, you know. I just – I've only seen it once, and I remember when I watched it being so – incredibly bored <laughs> and just regretting wasting time on it. So I'm going to voluntarily waste time on it again. It's going to be interesting to watch it with without the frame of the curse of the Bambina. Cause now that whole time frame, like the whole, Oh yeah. 80- whole 86 years or whatever 84 years i forget what the exact time frame was but the curse of the bambino was so like well known and renowned and it was the curse of the bambino the curse of the billy goat those two curses of baseball that and so when this movie came out it really took advantage of like the honeymoon phase of oh my gosh the red sox finally won a title for the first time in so many years even though the white Sox and the cubs both had championship drafts that were even longer that they also finally got over, you know, in, in years after. Now we're watching it after the Red Sox have won three more titles mm-hmm. since that. And one. the Cubs have won. So like all and the, the Cubs, Cubs have won. won. So like, yeah. So now it's just the curse of the Mariners. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, even the Nationals have won now. Yeah. So the Mariners are literally the only team that never made a World Series. Oh. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't. Even, we don't even know what to call. It's not even a curse because you have to have some sort of success to like be cursed. Uh, Has anyway. Texas ever won? Uh, Texas has not won. They were one strike away uh, when they played the Cardinals. The Cardinals, I remember that. Yeah, that felt really uh, bad for Texas. Nelson Cruz, like if anyone other than Nelson Cruz, if any competent fielding right fielder was in right field, then that they would have won the World Series because that was a catchable ball at the wall. Yep. that he missed with the triple that tied that game. And Ron Washington, I don't know what he was sitting on his hands for, why he did not have a defensive replacement for Nelson Cruz with a two-run lead in the ninth. Yeah. Makes no fucking sense. I, I don't know. I felt you know really what? bad for Nelson Cruz, though, because he, he also was the final out uh, the year earlier against the Giants. Yeah. And also his offensive prowess is the whole reason they even made it that fucking far. Exactly, and so yeah. to, like, be that close to – why are we talking about this I don't know. on a podcast? I don't know. So we don't talk about this next week. <laughs> anyway, uh, to the tens and tens of listeners, we love you. We thank you. This has been a dream come true to finally shit on this movie in <laughs> very specific, uh, in a very detailed <laughs> manner. Um, but we love y'all, and we will catch y'all later. Love Have you a guys. good week. It's a picture of a Ferris wheel in London, yeah. That sounds right. Yep. Okay, okay. You gotta be kidding me. She goes to London? Her prego ass hikes to London? 
to be continued. Get the fuck out of here. No, don't continue. Fuck you. Oh my God. You didn't deserve to be in existence to begin with.